Hey, good evening, everybody. Shana Tava gives me a great privilege and honor. My name is Rabbi Gad Krebs. I'm the Rabbi of Kilat Masada up here on the Abba North Shore in St. Ives. It gives me a great privilege to be hosting uh, the Shur by Rabbi Friend, who, you know, whose name is, is almost synonymous with Tshuva, in that the uh, every year the Tshuva Droshes, I know for myself, every year in the Rabbinate, it's been one of the highlights. Looking forward to the Tshuva Droshes of Rabbi Friend, and no doubt by the attendance and by the great excitement around the community that Rabbi Friend is joining us is really a big schut for us that ordinarily we could best hope for a recording, but never a live link up. And so if we can look at one of the shining, you know, one of the uh, silver linings of the Corona is the ability to be able to host someone like Rabbi Friend live. He's up very early in the morning in Baltimore, but it's a great honor to host him. I'd just like to thank all our, all our different communities that are joining us and being part of this. And without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Rabbi Um, I guess good evening um, and good morning here in the United States. The, ironically, the thing that we have in common now is that I assume it's, it's dark outside with, by you as well. So here it's dark because it's still right after Alaysa Shahar, right after the first ray of suns. And with you, it's dark because it's evening. But um, through the miracle of uh, technology, uh, we're able to communicate. Hopefully, um, the connection is good. Um, let me begin by first thanking Rabbi Krebs for arranging this and uh, how hospitable he has been. And uh, I, uh, I've, I ha was once in Sydney several years ago. I don't remember meeting Rabbi Krebs, uh, but uh, I understand that uh, Things, the situation of, in terms of Yiddishkeit and Judaism is uh, is even is forever growing, and I'm, here, I'm glad to hear that. Um, I also, uh, again, want to thank Rabbi Kebs. You know, this, it's not so easy to arrange such a thing, and uh, it's just a uh, a manifestation of his dedication to to, to the Kahila, to your congregation, and to your community, and. Uh, and that's Chus and that merit, um, the Benisham should pay him and his, keep him and his wife and his family all well as, as, as it is for the rest of you as well. Um, tonight's uh, drasha is dedicated in memory, Lilu Nishmas, Jeff Miller, Yaakov David, Ben Yoshua Velvel. And uh, this in fact should be a Chus for his Neshama and uh, and he was a person that I understand was a person that was dedicated both to, to his family and to his people. And therefore, this should be a schus uh, for his neshama. That said, let me begin with the drasha. I have had the privilege of speaking, at least nationally here in the United States, for more than 30 years this time of year the annual tshuva drasha. And invariably, during the course of the year, people would sometimes, as we got closer to, to Yom Kippur, people would come up to me and say, well, what's the tshuva drasha going to be about this year? What's your topic? Uh, this year, uh, no one asked that question because everyone would come over to me and they'd come and say, we know what you're speaking about this, this year, and that is that you're going to speak about the COVID pandemic and the effect that it should have on our tshuva. And the truth of the matter is that can be the only subject to speak about because this has been such a cataclysmic event and it's literally shaken the entire world. There is really no other topic to speak about. And I would assume that uh, every rabbi on this planet from, from, uh, from Israel to Australia, spanning the entire globe, is going to speak about uh, the effect and the reaction that we should have to this global pandemic, because it does require a response on our part. You know, there are parts of the davening which we will say, on Monday, Yom Kippur, there are parts of the davening that will take on an entirely different meaning than they have in past years. 
For instance, when we say in the Ovino Malkenu, that God Almighty prevent a plague from affecting your people. So in past years, we may have said that, yeah, Magaphis and plagues are something that happened in the Middle Ages or maybe 100, 200 years ago, but they don't happen in, in, uh, in modern times. But this time when we say those words, please prevent this plague from affecting your people, we will say it and we will really mean it because we know what it means to be affected by a magefa, by a plague. We did not realize when we davened the last Yom Nuraim, last Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we did not realize how effective our prayers were. You know, one of the themes of the all of the Shemana Esrays of these days is we asked to instill his fear and his awe on in the entire planet. That's what we prayed for. And guess what? That is exactly what happened. That the fear of God has, has, has affected humanity. And uh, people, uh, uh, you know, think even people that are not that religious, they must realize that, uh, you know, that God is doing something to his, to his world, to his planet. And in, uh, certainly the way it was, I don't know how it was in Sydney, but here in the beginning of the pandemic, people were literally afraid. They were afraid to step out of their houses, you know, uh, and uh, it, it was it, it was fear. And that is the way it's going to be when the Mashiach comes in our times, in Mitz Hashem, that the whole world will recognize God. And we, we thought, maybe we're thinking, how's that ever going to happen? How are all the non-believers, the atheists, the other, how are they going to believe in all of a sudden God? This pandemic gave us a sneak preview of how that can happen. Because when something like this happens, most people will say, what does God want? There's another thing that when in the beginning of this pandemic, I kept on hearing the expression, God has brought the world to its knees. And the truth of the matter is that's something that we also say in davening, especially on the Yom Neiroim in Oleinu L'Shabeach. When we say, that every knee will bow to you. That's exactly what happened. Every, we, we were brought to our needs. And hopefully the end of that sentence that eventually everyone will accept the sovereignty of the God Almighty will happen soon. You know, there's something else that will have different meaning. Certainly it will have different meaning in the United States of America and I assume in Australia as well. Every year at the very end of Ne'ilah, the last things that we say when we're literally out of strength, we fasted for 26 hours, basically. And we say, we finished Nila with the prayer, L'shana ha-babi Next year, year in Jerusalem. You know, we said that, we say that twice a year. We say that at the end of the Seder, Pesach Seder, and we say that at the end of Nila. And then when we said that in, on Pesach six months ago, it was just, you know, wrote uh, next year in Jerusalem. But at least in the United States of America, this really takes on a different meaning as well. And that is because of what has happened in this country, and I'm sure you're aware of it, over the last six months. And we in America do not feel as comfortable as we once felt, even this is a free country and freedom of religion and Jews are, play prominent places and we can practice our religion. But the incidents of anti-Semitism that have occurred cannot be brushed off anymore as isolated incidents. On August 26th of this year, just a few short weeks ago, the Chabad house at the University of Delaware was burnt to the ground. 
there are more than a half a dozen synagogues that have been vandalized during the BLM movement. Now, I don't know if in Australia you're so familiar with those words, BLM, but if in the United States of America, we know what that means, and that's the Black Lives Movement. And as sad as it is, there have been a lot, a lot of anti-Semitic incidents, including the vandalizing of shuls. I don't know if you've ever been in Los Angeles, but in Los Angeles, there's a very busy freeway, highway, called 405. So on one of the overpasses of the 405 freeway, there was a banner that was hung from the, from over the 405, and the banner read, the Jews want a race war. And next to that banner, there was a sign that says, if you agree, honk. When there were plenty of people that honked. This has made all of us here in the United States very, very un uh, unsure. And therefore, when we say, we talk and mean it. This is eerily reminiscent of a Gemara in Bava Basra, where the Gemara tells us in Bava Basra it's a parable. This never happened, but it's a parable. Several parables in the Gemara over there. The Gemara describes that they were the sages of the Talmud were once on a boat. And they were in the ocean and they saw in the middle of the ocean what they saw was a small island. And what did we do? The Gemara says that they got off their boat and they went on to this, what they thought was an island. And have and we cooked and we baked on top of this island, thinking that they that they have met land, have their own land. In truth, what this was was a huge whale in which sand had gathered on its back. And says the Gemara of and when it got too hot for the whale, it turned over. And as a result of that, they all fell into the ocean. And if not, had it been for the fact that the boat was nearby, we all would have drowned. That's the parable as stated in the Gemara. So the Marsha, one of the commentaries on the Gemara, says that this is a parable about the existence of Jews in the Gullahs throughout the, throughout the generations and that Jews in different countries have felt very, very comfortable, like the Jews of Spain in the 13 and 1400s, until all of a sudden it got uncomfortable, and the whale turned over, and the government turned over, and we were tossed into the sea. The same thing happened in Germany in the early part of the 20th century that we were very comfortable, we laid down roots, we were prosperous, etc., etc., and all of a sudden the government changed and we were cast into a turbulent sea. And that, to a certain extent, has happened during this pandemic. We in the United States relied on the American government, our political leaders, our medical system, our economy, our jobs, our retirement accounts. And now all of a sudden, we don't feel as confident in any of these institutions as we used to. L'shona haba birushalayim. Now we really want it. Because we're frightened over here. It's very scary what happens in the United States. If the general topic of this Chubadrasha was obvious to everyone, so is the theme, the specific theme of tonight's speech. And that theme can be can summed up in three words. If you want to, if someone asks you, well, what did he talk about? Very simple. All you know how to tell the three words. 
And those three words are, have we changed? We are living through a life-altering event in almost all aspects of our lives, whether it's our spiritual health, whether it's our physical health, whether it's our economic health, our social health, our mental health, and our family and our daily structures. If we were to come out of this pandemic and nothing about us has changed, it would be nothing less than a tragedy. We've gone through this and then back to normal. That would be a tragedy. And that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Have we changed? Is anything different about our philosophy on life, about how we act, what we think, how we feel, how we act? You know, there are two Rashis in Chumash that address this concept of changing as a result of something that happens in one's life. You know, in Sefer Bamidbar, which we read during our summer, your winter, we have the you have the two parshias, the story of gossip about her brother Moshe, and as a result of that being afflicted with saras, she became a leper. The very next parsha is the story of the Miraglim, the spies that Moshe sent out to reconnoiter the land of Israel. And they came back with their ill report, and as a result of that, they were stuck in the desert for the next 40 years. So Rashi asks, what is the connection? What's the juxtaposition between these two parshias? The story of Miriam getting Tsaras and the Miraglim speaking Lashon Hara about the land of Israel. And Rashi says, the juxtaposition is that here they saw what happened to Miriam when she spoke when she spoke ill of her brother and they saw this and they did not take a Musa they did not learn a lesson from this and therefore that's the connection between the two parishes which means if you see something when this happens it should make have an effect on your life they saw this and they didn't change. And the same will be said about us. God turns over the world and they don't change. We don't change. And we do nothing. And there's even a more pointed Rashi and Chumash. The Torah tells us that after Noah, after Noah came out of the of the ark, the Pasik says, Noach Vayita Kerem. And Noah he started and he planted a vineyard. Now the Torah uses an extra word over there, Vayochel Noah, which literally means he began. But Rashi says there's another implication of that word. Vayochel is from Lashon Chulin. Chulin means plain and ordinary. And what the Torah is saying is that this great Sadik Noach, he, he went down, he declined. Vayochel, he became plain, he became ordinary. Says Rashi, He shouldn't have planted, the first thing he should have planted, he shouldn't have planted a vineyard. And in fact, the sages are even more pointed in their criticism of Noah. The Torah, the Parshas Noah begins with the words, Noah is tzaddik He was a tzaddik, he was a righteous man. And then by the end of the Parsha, the Torah refers to Noah as Ish Adama, a man of the land, a farmer. He goes from being a tzaddik to being Ish Adama. Why? Because he planted a vineyard. Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with vineyards? The world needs wine. What's the complaint against Noach? He planted a vineyard. So Rabbi Beryl Wine, who many of you I'm sure have heard of, once commented and he said, 
then under normal circumstances, there's nothing wrong with planting a vineyard. But those were not normal times. The entire world has been destroyed. Noah was charged with rebuilding the entire universe and building a new world. This was a once in history opportunity. Noah should have been thinking in terms of elevated terms. He should have thought big, and yet he thought small. You're setting the tone for humanity. Do something holy, do something elevated. Think holy, think big, think elevated. And yet he didn't. He thought ordinary. He thought mundane. And as a result, he became ordinary. He became chulen, he became plain. He became ordinary. We are also emerging, emerging into a different world. A world in which we have seen much death and much sorrow and much pain. The United States alone, over 1,000 Orthodox from Jews, many of them holy people, have died. I mean, when this first happened, it was in, the, in cities like the New York, Brooklyn and New York and Lakewood, New Jersey. It was, you know, you hear sirens the entire day, one after another. The Hatzalah ambulances were, were going 24-7. And many lives have, have been altered, if not destroyed, if not spiritually, not physically, spiritually, economically, socially. And yet God has kept us alive. Now we cannot go back to being just another Joe or Jane or Yankel or Rachel. And just as many Jews who survived the Holocaust felt that if God kept them alive, they have to live different lives than before. Our situation is similar. I'm not saying that we survived the flood or we survived the Holocaust. But we cannot go back to the trivial pursuits that occupied our lives for most of our existence. Rabbi Wine tells of a story that when he was a little boy growing up in Chicago, so he had a grandfather who was a rabbi in Chicago who lived with the rabbi, this old grandfather lived with his daughter. It was before Pesach and there was a knock on the door and the grandfather opens the door and, and there's a man there, he says, uh, your, your daughter has hired me to paint the house. And Rabbi Wine's grandfather says to him, when Jews are being slaughtered in Europe, it's not time to paint the house. You don't paint houses. Then he asked the man, how much did my daughter promise you for painting the house? She said $80. Took out his checkbook and he wrote the man a check for $80. Now, I am not suggesting that we don't necessarily paint houses. Jews are not being slaughtered in Europe, thank God. But there are times when regular behavior is not appropriate. And we are living such, through such times. And we have to ask ourselves, is this appropriate to be doing now? But just to go on and act like normal, not right. You know, I'm sure that you have heard of the great Hasidic dynasty, the Gera dynasty, Gera Hasidim. The first Gera Rebbe, as a young man, went to also a very famous Hasidic rabbi, the, the Kotzke Rebbe, who was a man that was very, very sharp and known for his acerbic comments. And the young Gera Rebbe went to the Kotzke Rebbe, and the Kotzke Rebbe asked him, let me ask you a question. 
have you ever answered the question? Sometimes the, the, we've shown in the commentaries on the Talmud, ask questions. Tosus asks a question, the Rajba asks a question. Have you ever been able to answer those questions on your own? And the young Gare Rebbe said, yeah, sometimes I'm, a, I'm able to answer Kasha of a Tosus, etc. And then the Kotzke Rebbe asked him, can you answer the captain's question? And the young Gare Rebbe looked at him strangely. The captain? Which captain? What captain's question? And then the Kotzke Rebbe said to him, can you answer the question that the captain of that famous ship that Yonah Hanavi, Jonah the prophet, was on, that ship that went and started, there was a storm, and it was about to sink. And all the sailors on that boat, as we will read on Yom Kippur, were all praying and this and that. And what was Yonah doing? He was in the bowels of the boat and he was sleeping. And the captain of the ship comes down to Yonah and he says, How can you sleep? The ship's about to break up and capsize. How can you sleep? That's the question that the captain asked Yonah. And that says the Ger Rebbe, can you answer that question? Malachan Yadam. And that's a question that we also have to answer. How can we sleep through this? How can this not affect us? That's a question that we also have to answer. Here's an example of someone who something happened in his life and he reacted. And as a result of this, he did something differently with his life. Some of you may be familiar with a very important work on the laws of Shabbos called Shmira Shabbos Kehilchasa. It was written by a man named Rabbi Yoshua Neubert. It was and it is a revolutionary book because it not only deals with the ancient laws of Shabbos, but it has all the applications in terms of modern day society with electricity and electronics, etc., microphones and the like. And he wrote this classic book that is found in many houses all over the world, Shmirah Shabbos Gilchazah. See, in the, in the preface to that book, he writes, what motivated him to, to, to write this book? It's a monumental work. So he says he and his family lived in Germany. And as World War II began, they were able to escape and they escaped to Holland. Unfortunately, the Nazis took over Holland as well. And they lived through many harrowing events, life-threatening events. But through it all, his father was very, very careful not to be Machal Shabbos, not to desecrate the Shabbos, to keep the, to keep the Shabbos, and not to do anything forbidden on the Shabbos. That made a profound impression on him. So after the war, he decided to make his way to what was then Palestine. And he traveled to Marseille, France, to catch a boat to Palestine. The only boat that he can get to go to Palestine was leaving on Shabbos. Now the halacha is, the law is that you can boat, you can, you can, you can go on a boat that will travel on Shabbos, but you must go on the boat before Shabbos. But he had no choice, and he took the boat on Shabbos, and on the boat apparently he had to also do things that desecrated the Shabbos. And he said to himself, "Here, my father kept Shabbos under such dire conditions." And now I'm going to Israel, and the first thing I do is I desecrate the Shabbos. He said, right then and there, I'm going to write a book about the laws of Shabbos. That's an example of a person being inspired by something that happened in his life and acting upon it and not letting the moment pass. I think it's incumbent upon us in these days of tshuva, these last few days of tshuva before Yom Kippur, to ask ourselves two questions. 
Number one, what did I learn during these months of the pandemic? Many of us have been locked up, quarantined, locked down. What did I learn? And number two, the most important question, what kind of change will I make in my life as a result of this? You know, over the past several months, there have been various suggestions as to changes that we should make in our lives. And many of these suggestions have a lot of merit. There are those that have suggested that since this pandemic affected the shuls so dramatically that the shuls were closed, I don't know how it was with you, but here we didn't go to shul from, uh, from after Purim till almost shulis. First time in my life, I davened Pesach by myself. So it affected the shuls. So maybe God is trying to tell us that we have to tr treat shuls differently. You know, when we come into shul the first thing in the morning, we're supposed to say the beautiful psukim matovu ohalacha Yaakov mishkanesecha Yisrael. How beautiful are the tents of Yaakov referring to the shuls. Those few verses now have a different meaning. I come into the shul after being locked out for three months, and I say, How beautiful are your shuls. And I, with your great kindness, can come into your shul. You kept me alive. I did not get corona. With the Chazle Hashem, Vani Brev Chazlecha Avay Besecha. But as a result of that, we say, Echstachava El Hechal Kachacha Beira Secha. Now I will bow down in awe. And maybe our shuls have to be treated differently. Maybe we should not look at our cell phones during, during davening. Maybe we should certainly not answer our cell phones and not even look at our cell phones. Show greater respect for the base haknesis. Maybe refrain from talking unnecessary things during davening. There are other people that have suggested that we learn something else during the coronavirus, at least here in America. And that is that you do not have to have a very elaborate affair to get married. I saw videos of callous of brides walking down the street, going to their chuppah in a in a in a backyard or in a driveway in someone's house, without having to spend fortunes on weddings. Now I'm not suggesting that we all go into backyard weddings, but maybe that's an indication to us that we saw it doesn't have you don't have to invite the world and cut down on the number of people, maybe limited to, to, fam to the, uh, the meal to family and friends of the Chassam Kala, relatives, and then afterwards having a, uh, have a reception. But to spend the fortunes of money. And I just heard yesterday about someone I know, someone who, who borrowed from somebody else $100,000 to make a bar mitzvah. You know, giving more respect to the shuls is something it's something between a person, man, and God. If this idea of cutting down on lavish weddings, that's something that we would call it's between man and his fellow man because by you cutting down, there's less pressure on other people to copy you. But there are three things, between man and God, between man and his fellow man, and but there's also a concept of between me and myself. What did you learn about yourself during these weeks and months? When you were just, you were just confined to yourself and to your family, and some people even all by themselves. What type of spouse were you?
What is your relationship with your spouse really like? Are you happy with the way you acted during these months? Must you change things? What type of parent were you? Did you lose patience with your children? Am I a good father? Am I a good mother? Are there improvements that I can make? These are things that we have to think about. And to make some kind of lasting change. You know, the Pasuk tells us, and we say this in the Haggadah as well, in connection with the Korban Pesach, your child will come and they'll ask you, what's this all about? This can apply to the pandemic as well. Years from now, your grandchildren may ask you, Zaidi or Grandpa or Opa, whatever you call your grandfather, why do you do these things? You know, you do these things, you do these mitzvahs, you do them differently than everybody else. Other people do this, you never do this. Why do you act differently? Why don't you use the excuses and that everybody else does? Why are you so stringent? Why are you so different? And you will tell your grandson and granddaughter and you'll say, because many years ago, there was something called a pandemic, a coronavirus, and many people died. And God was good to me and I didn't get sick. And I said to myself, I am going to be different and I'm going to act differently. And I'm going to do things differently. And that's why I do it. I am not going to suggest to you what changes you should make in your life. It would be preposterous for me, not knowing you at all, not knowing your community. Obviously, Australia is different than the United States. I won't even suggest people that I know. I won't even say things to my own class in the yeshiva. That's for every person to decide for themselves. But let me share with you some of the things that I learned over these past few months and the changes I'd hope I'll be able to make and to put into action. During those first couple months of the pandemic, March and April, we began to realize and started to think about how many things we take for granted. We became very conscious of our health and concerned about it. And we realized anew how precious good health is. You know, it's the first sign of a cough or a sneeze or not feeling so well. We were offering, is this it? Is this Corona? We realize how important, and we cannot take this for granted, your good health. My wife and I missed our children and grandchildren terribly. You know, I have our three children. One lives here in Baltimore, one lives in Lakewood, New Jersey, and one lives in Brooklyn, New York. And we miss them terribly. My son who lives here doesn't live 10 minutes away by car. We couldn't see them. We have never, ever spent Pesach just by ourselves, my wife and me. But this year we did. And as we get older, we become more and more dependent on our children. And over Pesach, we realize to what extent. Our children here in Baltimore provided us literally with the entire Pesach. 
our out of children, out of town children, don't drove down from Lakewood and from Brooklyn just to stand in the parking lot of our of our townhouse, wave, say hello, wish us a good night. You know, after being cooped up over Yontif, over Shabbos and Yontif, it was a three-day Yontif. So on, so I live in a small community, yeshiva community here at the campus. So we ventured out onto yeshiva lane, as the street is called. And from a distance, we kept our distance, but we spoke to people. We spoke to human beings. And we realized the importance of friends and how important social interaction is. But if I had to go ahead and sum it all up, I learned not to take anything or anybody for granted. I don't know if you heard the story of the man here in the United States who was, who, was in, who was hospitalized, was on a ventilator for three days. Baruch Hashem, he survived, came out of the hospital. Sometime later, he got the bill from the hospital. He opened up the bill and he started crying. And his family asked him, is it because you're afraid you can't pay the bill? So he said, no, because I see how much they charge me for three days on the ventilator, giving me the ability to breathe. And never once in my lifetime have I ever thanked God for the ability to breathe. The average person takes 23,000 breaths a day approximately 8,400,000 breaths a year, and it hit him that never once did he ever thank God to be able to breathe. And maybe that's one of the things we should do. Try to accept upon ourselves to be more grateful. And how do you do that? Well, you can start by concentrating on those parts of the davening, of the tefillah, which we thank God. That when I get up this morning, got up this morning, I said, God, I lived another night. Thank you for giving me back my neshama. And when we say the bracha of modim in Shemona Esrei, and we say to God, Al chayenu ha-mesurim biyodecha v'al-shmesen our lives are dependent on you, say that with a little more feeling. And there's a bracha that the Chazal and the stages have instituted. It's a bracha on good health. You know what that bracha is? It's a bracha that we make after we come out of the bathroom. Asher Yotzar. When we thank God, that the body still works, which is not always the case. And the brachas that we say in the morning, the birchas hashachar, pokeach ivrim, I can see. Hamechim gover, I can walk. You know, over the summer, I did something with my back. And one morning I woke up, I could not straighten up. I could not bend over fully to put on my shoes. I did not go to davening that morning. Baruch Hashem, I went to physical therapy and I'm much, much better. But I try to remember, I try to remember when I say the bracha, Zokhev Kefufim, you who straighten out the ones who are bent, to thank God that my back is better. and to be more appreciative of the people around us who we take for granted. Our spouses, our children, our neighbors, our teachers in school, our rabbonim, our rabbis.
Finally, there's one last thing that I learned. You know, I have not been a Daf Yomi person. I don't learn the daily Daf of Talmud. I, you know, I learn, obviously, I teach in the yeshiva, but I never really learned Daf Yomi. For whatever reason, on March 8th of this past year, this year, the Daf Yomi started Mesech the Shabbos, Tractate of Shabbos, and I decided, okay, I'm going to try to learn the Daf Yomi. That was March 8th, the day before Tainus Esther. Little did we know what was in store for us. And during those first months when I was confined to my home, I realized like never before what David HaMelech says in Tehillim, King David says in Tehillim, Without your Torah, which has been my steady companion, I would have been lost. Because even though we had such little of our normal routine, not family, not friends, not work, not play, not shul, not minion, not nothing. But one thing I had, you can't take that away from me. And that is, I had your Torah. I had your Daf. I still had Chumash and Rashi. You know, on Yom Kippur and Ne'ilah, there are many piyutim, many tefillahs that we say. One of the most moving to me is, is the tefillah Zachar Bris Avrom Vakedas Yitzchak and one of the stanzas in that prayer is your beautiful Yerushalayim is destroyed and all of its surrounding treasures are gone and the only thing that's left is your Tyra. And that's how I felt. No shul, no minion. But I had the duff. And it's reminiscent of a very famous Gemara in Mesechti Yavamis, when the Gemara tells us that two sages of the Talmud, Rabbi Gamliel, and Rabbi Kiva were both on boats. And Rabbi Gamliel saw that the boat across the way in the ocean that was carrying the great Rabbi Akiva broke up and capsized. And Rabbi Akiva was thrown into the ocean. Rabbi Gamliel assumed that he drowned. And lo and behold, when they got back to land, Rabbi Gamliel was in his bezdin, in his rabbinical court, and lo and behold, who walks in? Rabbi Akiva. Ram Gamal asked Rabbi Akiva, how did you survive? I saw you drowning in the ocean. And Rabbi Akiva answered and he says, Daf shall svin on this li, which means a board, a plank of the boat. I hung on to the daf. A daf is a board, a plank. Daf shall svin on this li. And I hung on like a life preserver. And with every wave, I would go ahead and finally I got to shore. That's what saved me. The daf. And the analogy is obvious. The daf saved so many of us. You know, here in America, I was just asked, speaking with Rabbi Krebs, about what the situation with yours is. So he told me that in Sydney, it sort of tapered off somewhat. But everyone is afraid about the second wave. You know, that happens often in plagues. There's a first wave, and then it sort of subsides somewhat, and then it comes back with a vengeance in the second wave. It's happening here in America already. Why does God do it like that? 
It could be because God is saying, okay, I gave the first wave. Now, what did you do about it? Do you change? Like a parent that gives his child a patch and see how he's going to behave now. And maybe that's what the second wave is about. God says, I was not happy with the way my world is acting. So I brought this on you. Now let me see if you're going to change. As I said, I don't know, and I, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. But change. Do something. And after 120 years, when we leave this world, and God will say to you and say to me, how did you change during the pandemic? And you'll say, God, I didn't know what to do. There was no prophet. There was no Navi. I didn't know what to do. So I did this. God says, that's not really what I wanted. But listen, you did the best you can. And I can't blame you. But if we go up after 120 years and God says, says, how did you change? And you say, you know what, God, I didn't know what to do. So I did nothing. Did nothing. God says, you didn't do anything? God won't be happy. Do something. Change something. Do something differently. And we'll be able to say to God Almighty, Rebbe Shalom, listen. I tried my best. I asked my rabbi. I did this. I, this is what I chose. God will say, I hope. Okay. That's all I can expect. And let us hope that the final words of that pisman which we say on the Elah, V'shuv barachamim al she'eris Yisrael v'heishiyein ilaman shemecha. And God Almighty, come back again. V'shuv barachamim. And come back in mercy. And, and have rachmanis on your klal Yisrael. V'heishiyein ilaman shemecha. And save us, if not in our sake, but for your sake. Have a gemar chasiva toiva, a good kebench to your a year of health, of nachas, of parnasa, of shalom, and a year in which we'll be able, hopefully, to greet the Mashiach and Lashon HaBob Yerushalayim. Good night and goodbye. Thank you so much, Rabbi Friend. It is just an absolute schutter. It's amazing how every year you manage to keep raising the bar of your tshuva droshes and should have a year of... Uh, of good health and uh, thank you so much. And please God, we should see you down under in the person and to our friends in Melbourne, uh, our, we are here in Sydney are with you and uh, please God in our we have you guys in mind. And to all our partners, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us and Shana Tova. Thank you, thank you.